All right, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 124 of The Informed Catholic, episode 124. And we're going to continue doing the reading on the the Vatican II document, uh, Light of the Nations, Lunden Gentium. Uh, My Latin is not great, but we're going to continue to look into that. And before we start, I'm going to make the sign of the cross, and we're going to go into a reading I'm choosing today, which is from Mark's Gospel. Okay, so let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, we're going to go right into the reading right away, okay? All right, so this is from Mark chapter 4, and this is the parable of the sower. And the reason why I'm picking this out, because there's a lot we can learn of how Christ wants us to to listen, how he wants us to receive his word, how he wants us to practice. And I think this is the one I think that I don't think gets paid atten- attention to quite a lot. I've always loved this particular parable on the sower because it it is difficult to listen to. It is difficult to follow. But if we play, uh, pay close attention we actually can be the kind of people Christ wants us to be in and how he wants us to receive his message. All right, so let's begin. Uh, The gospel according to St. Mark chapter four. I'm reading from the New American uh, Bible, okay? On another occasion, he began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. He taught them at length in parables, and in the course of his instruction, he said to them, Hear this, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and produced no grain. And some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, he added. Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. And when he was alone... Those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand, in order that that they may not be converted and be forgiven." Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? 
then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, receive it at once with joy. But they have no root. They last only for a time. Then, when tribulation or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among the thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Okay, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> now let's look at what we have here. All right, let's really like try to dissect it. We have uh, Jesus teaching by the sea. We have a very large crowd that, that gathered around him. We have a boat which is on the sea. And uh, and we know that Jesus got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was the crowd was beside the sea on land. Notice the details. Notice the details how uh, Mark puts it here, how he structures it. And he taught them at length in parables, and in the course of his instruction, he. You know, he, he goes into instructions on in them. Okay, so he's, uh, he's on the seashore, all right, on the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. He sat on the boat. The people gathered around him by the seashore on the land. They're standing on the edge, kind of like just right there on the shore. And he's just on the boat, just a, I guess you can say <clears throat> a few feet away, right? And the water's right there. Now, the boat is the church. Christ sat down. He sat down in the boat is of authority, of ruling. He's the son of man. He's the king of kings. He sits on the boat, uh, you know, like on a throne, a tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? He is the, the living word. And the people... Now the seed, another thing we have to remember, like in the book of uh, the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, he speaks in the voice of many waters, which is the voice of many nations. All right. And uh, the people, uh, the, the, the sea represents nations. Okay. Now we get another image that's not so holy. Remember the image of the beast. Okay. The beast stood on the land 
between the land and uh, and the sea. Okay, uh, basically, again, he's a beast. The people belong on the land or the sea because the people, the people themselves, are made to live on the land and the sea because the people belong there. Now, so I'm not going to try to go off of it, but I'm trying to give you a comparison of how to read the symbolism. You know, this is how uh, a lot of the theologians do, uh, have done it, a lot of the church fathers. So Jesus himself made his home among humanity. All right. The church is uh, made its home. Christ made its home among humanity. Remember, he speaks to many different nations and tongues and, you know, uh, different groups, ethnic groups and everything. Nations are part of a part of the human human beings. We all have like homes. Obviously, nations are our homes, countries, places where we belong to. We speak in many different languages so that Christ has sanctified. All right. The word made flesh and tabernacled among us. The 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 original Greek actually uses the word tabernacle. The Aramaic also uses a term pitched his tent, his skin, his humanity. He took on humanity and he pitched it among us. So that's something we have to we have to understand that the, the gospel is supposed to go out to all the nations and all the nations get, come and gather and, and receive the gospel. Now, how they receive it is a different matter here because that's where it starts to, get, you know, uh, where the instruction comes in. Hear this, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some went, um, some seed fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Immediately, birds come. It could be ravens, crows, or little sparrows. They come and they eat it up. Okay, so it fell on the path. Um, all right, so, um, and then it goes on. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. Okay, and when the sun rose, it was scorched and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and produced no grain. Some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded 30, 60, and a hundredfold. He added, whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. Okay, so some seed fell on the path, the birds ate it up. Others feet, uh, other seed fell on uh, rocky ground, but, but it had little soil. So it, as soon as the sun uh, had no root, and as soon as the sun came up, it scorched it. It scorched, it scorched uh, the, 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 the grain it didn't have. Okay, so uh, then some seed fell on thorns. And the thorns, when it grew up, the thorns choked it. And then some seed fell on rich soil. And it grew to a hundred, a hundredfold, maybe a thousandfold. So the fourth, the fourth one is his most, is a successful one. Okay, so, so, so now we can sort of see 
where you know where the bad where the seed failed and where the seed succeeded. Okay? So then when uh when he was alone, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but though but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be and and, and be forgiven. So if you understand it and you accept it, you'll be converted. Because this is made to make you contemplate, to make you ponder, to make you interact, to be engaged in your in 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 the, in the words of Christ, in the, the the gospel. It's meant to bring to to hold your attention. And if it does hold your attention, if you're willing to understand it, you will brought into salvation. So this is why you should pay attention to this. This is why we all should be paying attention to this. All right. So Jesus said to them, do not, uh, if you do not understand this parable, then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. Okay. So the man, the farmer is a, um, one who goes out to sow the word, a preacher, a disciple, a follower of Christ. Okay, so these are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. So the birds, I guess we can use the appropriate image of a raven or a crow because they often fit very well for evil, comes and ravens and crows are pretty smart birds, by the way. They're not stupid. But they're also they also unfortunately fall into like remember in the passion where a crow or a raven landed on the one of the bad thieves and plucked out his eye. So like in I guess you can say they fell into horror stories and Edgar Edgar Allan uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories and stuff like that gothic uh, horror stories. Okay, so they come, they eat the word, they represent the devil, and they and they steal the word. They take it away. So that's what the birds of the air um, mean, symbolize. The, the raven and the crow, you can you can put in, it doesn't say raven or crow, but I guess it will fit into the, it'll make the story more interesting, is representative, is represents Satan. Okay, Satan comes and once and takes away the word sown in them. These, these are they the ones sown on uh, on rocky ground, when they hear the word and receive it at once with joy, but they have no root, at least uh, uh, they last only for a time. Then when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. All right. So the rocky ground with where it grows, but has no root is the shallow Christian, the Christian who is not deeply committed, temporarily committed. And what happens? They, the as soon as maybe trouble, crisis comes, personal crisis or persecution or threat of losing your job, they quickly fall away to the wayside. They quickly give up on being a Christian. And a lot of, there are a lot of people who do that. 
All right, and uh, you know they do that. So it happens whenever trouble. They can't handle the pressure. They can't handle persecution. But because they also probably don't practice the faith as much as they do. They don't practice it at all. You know, people can go to church and, you know, you hear how many, how many people do we know? Uh, they go to church every single day, but they don't practice their faith. And then when something comes along, like a political uh, controversy, especially about abortion or gay marriage, they quickly accept it. They quickly accept it. They quickly accept it without question. Because the Christian faith is only an, uh, something that they identify. They identify being Christian, but they don't identify deeply with Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ. Christ is just a historical figure. They may not even believe in, 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 the, in the, the, the faith. They may not believe in the virgin birth or the incarnation. And a lot of times, how long they, they can't even tell the difference between the virgin birth or the Immaculate Conception. How many people do you know that way? How many people you know, maybe they don't even believe in the real presence. Obviously, they if they didn't believe in the resurrection, they're not going to believe in that. And a lot of times we're shocked because we never really scratched the surface in them. They don't believe. And maybe they won't believe. And then, you know, they're, they, they'll embrace modernism. They'll embrace all religions are the same. You listen to them, you find out a lot. And you realize, how come I didn't notice it before? It's, it's you know, it's sad, but it's true. And then let's continue. All right. Then he goes on. Um, okay, they have no root. They last only for a time. Then when tribulation or persecution comes... This is the, the ones that fall on, on the rocky ground. Because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, the craving for other things, intrude and choke the word. And it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay, so the thorns are the ones who are seduced by riches, by money, by sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, I guess you can say. They are the ones who are obsessed with materialism. They are, they want worldly riches they want they want all the all the pleasures of life they want they want all the sensations and everything and that's that sin is represent through thorns jesus uses that last one with thorns because sins and temptations penetrate you they penetrate into your life they go deep into your life they want everything they want to experience all the sensations of life they want to experience all the 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 pleasures of the flesh and so they they give up and then finally the rich one the one with the rich soil the soil that's uh, that's deeply nourished in grace in in sanctification in the sacraments in prayer that the the seed grow goes deeply and those are the ones who are in love with Christ 
and chase after Christ and want to grow in Christ. This is this is this is how it's uh, how you interpret it, and so you see it, and you you know, and like I said, you come back to it. It's meant to call you back. It's meant to make you contemplate. You have to contemplate. You have to keep reading it, and you have to ask yourself, which one do I fall into? You may even fall into several categories. It's not just one, but you may you know maybe two, maybe three. Maybe we because we're we're different. We go through different things every day, where you know we, our moods change and also we change. We change throughout whole all of life. We go through different stages. An interesting book you should read by um, John Bunyan. I think his name is John Bunyan. He wrote the book called The Pilgrim's Progress. He's not a Catholic. He's uh, a Puritan. He's an evangelical Puritan. He existed during the time of uh, the sixth, uh, the 17th century, and he wrote it. He wrote the book in prison. Uh, he was imprisoned by an English king, and they he they rejected the Church of England because the Church of England became a state a state church, a government church, a, a church with the crown. But Bunyan makes different stages of the Christian life. It's funny sin. He describes, uh, it's it's very allegorical, so it's meant to be symbolic, where the character called Christian, Christian, finds and discovers a book, and he lives in the city of destruction. And he wants, he, the book tells him about a celestial king. It's Christ, obviously, and he wants to go out there. He wants to go, but... As soon as he discovers that he's living in the city of destruction, his sins manifested into a heavy bag on his back, a, a burden that's crushing him. And and it's a very interesting book. It's really it's actually worth reading because there's different symbolism. And he wrote it kind of like I don't know. I I'm quite. I, he had to have been influenced by. Uh, the Divine Comedy. He must have heard of The Divine Comedy. And it's a very interesting book. It's a very interesting book. I think it's something, maybe we might read it on the podcast. I think it's worth checking out. All right, let's move on to the document. Now, a little bit more. That parable does not make any compromises. You have to choose one path or the other. You have to choose a number of those paths. You have to fit into them. Christ is demanding that we figure out which person do we fall under, which particular image, which particular part of the parable of the category, the one that does not receive the word and allows the devil to take it away from us, allows the devil to steal it. Now, how the devil steals that word, steals the, the, our faith. Um, how we let that raven, that crow in, is a question, right? You have to figure out how you're going to fit, how, how, how that happened. How did you let the devil take away the word from your heart? Okay, I mean, it didn't, it fell on the rocky side. I mean, the, being rocky means you were resistant, right? 
It means you were a hard shell, a hard nut to crack, and you refused. You just let it sat, you let it sit there, or you, <clears throat> and then suddenly evil, the raven or a crow. I know I'm, I'm put, I know the, it doesn't say raven or crow, it says the bird, but it's supposed to be represented Satan. So I can't picture a little sparrow being looking satanic, but I can picture a raven or crow fits into that category, right? And it comes and it steals the word away. You know, it takes it from you. The the other one is it doesn't um, it doesn't allow this, this. It didn't have again deep root. It's not much different. It's not much different. But scorch the scorched uh, sun represents persecution. The 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 fiery hatred of the faith. As soon as the, the persecution comes, right? What happens? We get scared. And then we just, we disassociate ourselves. It's like St. Peter, when they, when they pressured him and said, you, you are a follower of the Nazarene. And he got scared. He got scared because most likely images came into his head. Right? He suddenly, he falls into two of those categories. If you notice, he falls into two of those categories. I know I was supposed to begin reading the, the document, but I just, I, I just started thinking a little bit more. He, he falls into two of those categories. The word didn't go deeply, even though he was following him all those years for three years. And then suddenly persecution comes. Right? And then suddenly he denies that he ever knew him, even curses, swears, curses the man. And then suddenly you got the thorns. Maybe Judas falls into that. Obviously, the other apostles fell into the other two categories, right? Or maybe to the one where persecution began because they, they dumped him right away and they ran. They got scared and they ran. And then now the, the thorns, the lure, the love of the world, the, the lure of the flesh, all right, money, fame, power, and that in itself, you could say Judas fell into that, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick fell into that. A lot of our bishops fall into that, unfortunately, these days. A lot of Catholics fall into that. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, right? Am I wrong to throw their names in? But seriously, they're rich people. And they they um, they support abortion, gay marriage, globalism, right? I know people are going to say, you're throwing rocks, you're judging. But let's be honest. Does anyone, when you choose, when you, when you see the world around you, how distant does Jesus become? When the possibilities that the world offers, how distant does Christ become? How much, how much further does he look like we left him on that boat and we just pushed the boat away and you said, okay, go find other shores for yourself. Right? Seriously. Think about it very carefully. 
I mean, it, it, all that, that's what I'm saying. It's meant to call you back and engage, and it's meant to make you self-examine yourself. That's what it's supposed to do. The, the interpretation is, is ongoing. The, the, the revelation is not set in stone. I mean, it, it, it transcends time. It transcends history. It transcends political events. It, 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 it's, it's there for each generation to find him or herself in the, in the word of God, in the gospel. That's the way it's supposed to be. I can't say for certain that I know what the future is going to be, but the gospel does know what the future is going to be. The, the Bible the Bible will not reveal every to every generation because it's not meant for every generation, but it's, but a, a, every generation is meant to receive something from the gospel, from the, from the, from the Bible. All right, let's begin. All right. I went a little further back just to pick up from a paragraph. Just as Christ carried out the work of redemption in poverty and oppression so the church is called to follow the same path if she is to communicate the fruits of salvation to men. Christ Jesus, though he was by nature God, emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave. Philippians um, chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. And being rich became poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For our sake, likewise, the church, although she needs human resources to carry out her mission, is not set up to seek earthly glory, but to proclaim, and this is by her own example, humility and self-denial. This is interesting. This I, I didn't catch this last night. All right. Um for our sake likewise the church although she needs human resources to carry out her mission is not set up to seek earthly glory but to proclaim and this by her own example humility and self-denial so these cardinals and bishops should realize that and pope francis should know this the church is not look is not meant to be for earthly glory but to proclaim the gospel and in, and the church has to be in self-denial. She has to imitate her bridegroom. Christ was sent by the father to bring good news to the poor, to heal the contrite of heart. Luke chapter four, verse 18, and to seek and to save what was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Similarly, the church encompasses with her love, all those who are afflicted by human misery and she recognizes in those who are poor and who suffer the image of her poor and suffering founder. She does all in her power to relieve their need and in them she strives to serve Christ. Christ, holy, innocent, and undefiled. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. He knew nothing of sin, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, but came only to expiate the sins of the people, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The church, however, clasping 
sinners to her bosom, at once holy and always in need of purification, follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. The church, like a stranger in a foreign land, presses forward amid the perse persecution of the world and the consolation of God, announcing the cross and death of the Lord until he comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. But by the power of the risen Lord, she is given strength to overcome in patience and in love her sorrows and her difficulties, but those that are from within and those that are from without, so that she may reveal in the world faithfully, however darkly the mystery of her Lord, until in the consummation it shall be manifested in full light. That's the end of chapter 1. Now we're going to go into chapter 2. It's called The People of God. So, Article 9. At all times, in every race, anyone who fears God and does what is right has been acceptable to him. Acts chapter 10, verse 35. He has, however, will to make men holy and save them, not as individuals without any bond or link between them, but rather to make them into a people who might acknowledge him and serve him in holiness. He therefore chose the Israelite race excuse me, to be his own people and establish a covenant with it. He gradually instructed this people in its history, manifesting both himself and the decrees of his will, and made it holy unto himself. All these things, however, happened as a preparation and figure of that new and perfect covenant which was to be ratified in Christ. Okay, did you get that part? New and perfect covenant which was rat which was to be ratified in Christ, and of the fuller revelation which was to be given through the word of God made flesh. That's Christ the word incarnate. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law with them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and they shall be my people, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. This was the um, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. Christ instituted this new covenant, namely the new covenant in his blood. First Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 25. He called a race made up of Jews and Gentiles, which would be one, not according to the flesh, but in the spirit. And this race would be the new people of God for those who believe in Christ, who are reborn, not from a corruptible seed, but from an incorruptible seed, one through the word of the living of the living God. First Peter chapter one, verse 23, not from flesh, but from water and the Holy Spirit. John chapter three, verse five and six are finally established as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation who in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. This is very good. I don't understand. Like I said, I don't understand why there's so much. Um, I mean, I was speaking to my friend Henry, and he said some of these liberal bishops and priests, 
think that Vatican II didn't go didn't go far enough. But it it to me it seems like what they're doing, what Vatican do two excuse me, Vatican II is doing, is simply re recommitting itself to what the past councils have said in this. I mean, except, you know, they're saying it in, 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 in more modern language, but it's not denying everything. It's not denying the theology. It's not denying the sacraments. It's not denying the faith. It's not denying Christ. I mean, that's what I think it is. And maybe because of um, decorum of the past, they might have sounded a little stiff, you know, the way things were written. Um, maybe the style of the language was different, but the thing is, it's the same thing. If you read the church fathers, they all committed themselves to Christ. If you read some of the past popes, they all committed themselves to Christ. This is, this is no different. I think the problem was, is that there was um, some revolutionaries that got in there somehow 30, 40, maybe a hundred years ago. And now they thought that they had the opportunity, but the Holy Spirit held them back. I'm not going to say that there wasn't maybe a few um, collateral damages, unjust damages to some some of the council fathers that were not prepared. Some of the the great theologians that might have found themselves sidelined. Orthodox ones, of course, conservative ones. A lot of them I heard got sidelined and silenced unfairly. But this is not, this is, this is, this is, this is what, what the church always believes. The Messianic people has, let me make sure I'm reading, I'm not moving ahead. Okay. Who in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God. That's from First Peter chapter two, verse nine to ten. The messianic people has as its head Christ, who was deli delivered up for our sins and rose. Let me make sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is this is the right one here. Okay. I want to make sure because sometimes. The screen is very sensitive that I might skip a passage. Okay. The Messianic people has as its head Christ, who was delivered up for our sins and rose again for our justification. Justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. And now, having acquired the name which is above all names reigns gloriously in heaven the state of this people is that of the dignity and freedom of the sons of god in whose hearts the holy spirit dwells as in a temple its law is the new commandment to love christ as christ loved us john chapter 13 verse 34 its destiny is the kingdom of God, which has been begun by God himself on earth and which must be further extended until it is brought to perfection by him at the end of time when Christ our life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 will appear and creation itself also will be delivered from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the sons of god hence 
that messianic people, although it does not actually include all men, and at times may appear as a small flock, good, is, however, a must sure seed of unity, hope, and salvation for the whole human race, established by Christ as a communion of life, love, and truth. It is taken up by him also as the instrument of the salvation of all, as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. It is sent forth into the world. Okay. Hold on. I think maybe we're going to have to stop here. We got into... Um, we got into chapter two, which is the people of God uh, in this article. And so far, it is it is quite clear to me. I think I think it's the problem is is the interpretation. A lot of these bishops and priests um, uh, who are in the modernist school really um they they refer they refer back i think to vatican to a lot of a lot of those documents of vatican II as a little off the cuff sort of like they have to mention it just to make sure that they show people that they know what they're talking about um <clears throat> again i know dr taylor marshall did a little bit more on uh on Bishop Barron, and I think the problem was because Bishop Barron said that there are lesser lights in other religions, lesser lights, uh, truths of some kind. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, look, almost every religion will say that lying is wrong, murder is wrong, rape is wrong. Um, they'll say it. Um, paganism is wrong. Um, Buddhism has some truth. There's no one can deny it. it. It's, it's, there is, there's always a sense of justice, even among an atheist, even an atheist is going to, is going to admit to sense of right and wrong. He's going to, he's not going to explain why he believes there's a right and wrong. But the fact is, let's face it. We all know <clears throat> that murder is wrong in every nation on earth. All right, even the most primitive tribes or tribes, let's say among the Aboriginal people, and I'm not trying to be insulting, but they also had a they had right and wrong. They knew stealing was wrong. They knew murder was wrong. They knew they knew these things. All of them knew it. What happens is, I think, is that what happened with Robert Bishop Robert Barron is that. Um, I don't think he realized. Okay, it's not just what he said on Sunday, where he threw in a little universalism. He basically said that all of them are going to say be saved, because it is because Christ is the establishment. And the problem he said in the past is he said that Christ is the. Um, the privileged way. And I've heard him say that to uh, Ben Shapiro, that Christ is the privileged way. That Ben Shapiro is seeking Christ without knowing he's seeking Christ in Judaism. And that Christ is communicating to him through... Um, the term was Aboriginal... 
uh, voice of the soul or something that Christ that that Christ reveals Himself through that, which is I don't know if anyone's going to agree with it, but still, I I don't agree with it, and I think what he did was he he basically established Jesus as the only way, <clears throat> but at the same time, he pinned onto Jesus Buddhism. Confucianism, Islam, um, atheism, he pinned onto him and then tried to universalize Jesus with, without denouncing Jesus. He basically created a new Jesus where it was easier for him so he could look good and all the and all these other modernist bishops can look good i mean i know i'm sounding very harsh but it's true i think it is <clears throat> i mean he's not he's he's not going to denounce jesus because he can't but at the same time he didn't fully want to say the ben shapiro listen ben i think you're a good person i think you are but it doesn't mean you're going to be saved i think the thing you have to understand is, is that Jesus keep, keeps the law better than any other Jew. Jesus kept the law better than any other Jew. He kept it so that you don't have to um, just live in this, in this constant, what you call Groundhog Day, where you got to get up every day and try to keep the law. Point is, your faith in, in, in Judaism is directly responsible by, by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus keeps the law perfectly. Jesus keeps the law perfect. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Jesus, you, don't know, you, you no longer need to. Christ himself is your... Is... is the, is your Messiah. Christ is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Christ offered himself for all Jews and for Gentiles. That's what he could have said. And the same thing he could have said it the same thing with Dave Rubin. I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, uh, he didn't want to denounce homosexual marriage. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump on a tank. You see what I'm saying? What he's doing? He's not, he's not going to challenge it. He's not going to challenge it. Where Christ would have challenged it, he's not going to challenge it. You know, he, you know, sorry, I'm not going to do it. If you want to do it, Jesus, then you better come down here. I should have turned that off. Sorry. You know, he just decided not to. He just, he basically universalized Jesus. He universalized him. He created his own Jesus. Sorry, this is this is this is the Vatican to to Jesus, and always. And I understand what Taylor Marshall is saying. Uh, Taylor Marshall is not crazy about Vatican II, but I disagree with him. I think you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win your argument that way. You you know you you want your. I want the Latin Mass to come back. I want the Latin Mass to be given complete um, freedom. But you're not going to win it by constantly 
you know, saying no to Vatican II like a little kid who doesn't want to take his medicine. You know, you, the Vatican II is the only of uh, the Vatican II documents. The point is to get the right people to interpret them the way they're supposed to be interpreted, the way they're supposed to be implemented. You know, you're not going to win people off that way. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. I really, I still have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. And I'm still a Dr. Taylor Marshall fan. I'm a Timothy Gordon fan. But guess what? I'm not going to give up on these documents either. I know Timothy Gordon doesn't. I still think we need, you know, we 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 need to look into this. We need to look in these documents because that's the key to getting back the church is these documents. You know? That's the key right here. That's the key. You have to get control of it. You have to really read these documents and take back the church. Take back the church from these from from the from these bad shepherds. That's the only way you're gonna do it, man. I'm sorry. That's the only way you're gonna do. It. You have to read these documents, and you have to you have to figure out what they're how you know read it and make sure that we have better knowledge of it than they do. Okay. Forget about the the Quran kissing with John Paul II. He did it. It's over. It's done with. You know, the point is not to go back and let that happen again. Okay, John Paul II did the best he could as he got older. If you're in his seat every single day, if you're in his shoes every single day, and you're dealing with these modernists day in and day out, It's going to weigh down on you too, just like that story with the Pilgrim Progress. You know, the burden is going to be very heavy. Even Benedict the Sixteenth, I mean, he, you know, he, he's, he's sort of, he was cut of the same cloth as John Paul II. So, anyway, I'm going to end it here in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Uh, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I'll be back soon with another reading.